Cool. All right, let's bow our heads and then we'll, we'll make a start. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for bringing us here again, yet again on another Sabbath. Um, you've saved us for another week and here we are opening your word. I just pray that you can help us with our understanding um, and help us with the learning that you want to give to us um, so that we can make it practical in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, welcome guys. So, um, what did we do last week? I wasn't in attendance, so I can't. Okay, who is it? Who who was in attendance? Is anyone in attendance that was here last week? There's definitely some people who were, who were here last week that are on the call for sure. What did we do last week, guys? What character were we studying? Was it Saul? Saul, yeah, cool, right? So we did Saul. We looked at the early parts of his reign. Um, and now we're dipping into this the kind of following story from where we stopped last week. So we're going to First Samuel, and we're going to start off in chapter 16. Now, who, who knows where we left um, Saul's story? Like, what did we just figure out about Saul? Or what, what, what message did God just give to Saul at the point in which we stopped? If you're saying chapter 16, I'm thinking that's around the time when David first gets mentioned. It is, yeah. So what just happened before David just gets mentioned, namely in chapter 15. Isn't Samuel going to Saul and say, you've done bad, God's going to take away his protection and that? Cool. Great. Perfect, right? So Saul just, um, Saul just went and, and got the the went and, and, and destroyed the um, Amalekites, right? Um, and instead of him destroying the people like they should have done, like they should have just like wiped them off the face of the earth, like men, women, children, animals, belongings, should all of it should have been destroyed, right? But Saul kept some of the kings back. He kept some of the nice stuff back. He kept some of the nice animals back. And obviously Samuel... Um, told him that he had um, disobeyed God, and because of that, God said, "Look, you're not going to be king. You're not going to be king anymore. Yeah, you're not going to be king anymore." So Samuel was a bit distressed about it. Saul was obviously a bit distressed about it, and here we are. We pick up the story in chapter sixteen. So we're going to read from chapter sixteen, and we're going to probably just do sixteen and seventeen today, um, but we'll see how far we get. So let's start reading from verse 16 and then we'll, um, we'll go verse by verse or few verses by few verses. From what verse? Verse 1, chapter 16 says, And the Lord said unto Samuel, How long wilt thou mourn for Saul, seeing I have rejected him from reigning over Israel? Fill thine horn with oil and go. I will send thee to Jesse the Bethlehemite, 
for I have provided me a king among his sons. And Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hear it, he will kill me. And the Lord said, take a heifer with thee and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And call Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show thee what thou shalt do. And thou shalt anoint unto me him who I name unto thee. Cool. And Samuel, that, uh, oh, sorry. Um, so what we're seeing currently in the story so far, because I don't want us to read too much and then not, not get to grips with what's happening. So for me, Saul's character has now changed because Samuel was obviously his like support system at the start when he started this king thing. And now, because Samuel has said that God is no longer happy with him, man's so vexed that if he sees Samuel, he will unsight him, especially if he knows he's going to give someone else the, key, the keys to the kingdom, literally. Yeah. Cool, right? There's, what was the one sin, I know Daniel, you went here last week, what was the one sin that we said Saul was really cherishing at this point, why he started to move away from God? Spoke about it towards the end of last week. Right. Pride, right? Pride. And and there's an Ellen White quote just at the end of this um this this verse that kind of talks about this one character trait that Saul was um, cherishing. It says, even one wrong trait of character, one sinful desire, persistently cherished, will eventually neutralize all power of the gospel. Every sinful indulgence strengthens the soul's aversion to God. The man who manifests an infidel hardihood or a stolid indifference to divine truth is but reaping the harvest of which he has sown himself. Basically saying this little seed that that, um, Saul had, this pride that started festering in his heart, every single time he he ended up indulging that and from... I think we read from verse um, from chapter thirteen. Saul started moving a bit weird. So from from thirteen all the way up to um, fifteen, Saul was cherishing this pride more and more and more and more and more as you go through those stories. And at the end, he did what he did, and and God was like, "Look, you've 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 split. We're at differences now." Yeah. That's how that's how dangerous one little sin can be. And we'll see that as we go through some of the kings as well. But yeah, let's carry on reading. So Samuel was told, go fight, fill up your horn with oil. So you fill up your horn so that you can anoint someone. Samuel's then fearful because if he if Saul knows that he's going to anoint another king, he's gonna kill him. Um God then said, go and make a sacrifice um, in, and go look like you're making a sacrifice in Bethlehem and I'll, and you know, it'll, it'll, it'll be okay. So let's start reading from verse four. And Samuel did that which the Lord spake and came to Bethlehem and the elders of the town trembled at his coming and said, comest thou peaceably? Am I reading on? Uh, yeah, go to verse um, seven. What's up with seven? And he said, Peaceably, I am come to sacrifice unto the Lord. 
sanctify yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he sanctified Jesse and his sons and called them to the sacrifice. And it came to pass when they were come that he looked on, El on Eliab and said, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. Cool. Let's stop there. Right. Now, th that's quite a famous text, right? We've, we've all probably heard that text before. Um, but just to get this, um, just to go a bit deeper into this, let's go to um, Hebrews chapter 4 um, and verse 13. Right, and I just want us to land on this idea that man look on outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. Right, so if we could, um, if someone could go to Hebrews four thirteen and just read that, and there's a little Ellen White quote along with that that I want us to just look at quickly. I was reading this this week, and it was a bit like, whoa. And there is no creature hidden from His sight, for all things are naked and open to the eyes of Him, to whom we must give account. Cool. So Amber, what's that saying? Sorry, quick question. Where was that taken from again? Um, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Thank you. Uh, well, it seems like nothing can be hidden from God because he literally sees everything, no matter how hard you might try to hide it from people around you. God still sees it. Cool, right? This is what the, the, the text from Patriots and Prophets says. It says, if we cherish a habitual impression that God sees and hears all that we do and say and keeps a faithful record of our words and actions and that we, um, we must meet it all, we would fear to sin. Let the young ever remember that wherever we are and whatever we do, um, we are in the presence of God. No part of our conduct escapes observation. Every act, every word, every thought is distinctly marked as though they were the only person in the whole world and the attention of heaven is centred upon you. So I know that some angels we're not trying to see when we get to heaven, yeah? <laughs> you know, no, it's that deep, right? So just think, like, cast your mind back to this week, right? This is what I did when I was reading this. Cast, cast your mind back to this week and think about what you're thinking about, what you did, what you um, were trying to do, like, and all the thoughts and all the... God sees it all. God sees everything. And not only does he see everything, but he sees it like you're the only person in the world. As Amber was saying, there's no hiding. It's interesting because I feel like a lot of the time we want to kind of like... Hmm. Sometimes I guess we want to kind of like forget this in the idea that we have of God's love, if you get me. And when I say this, I just mean like... Satan leads people to believe that God is out here looking... Who's sinning so I can kill him, basically. That type of that type of mentality. Um, 
when in reality that's not what it is. But sin being the transgression of God's law, God is still making note of when we're sinning. God just still like knows us all holistically. And this idea that like there is a record being kept, even though God doesn't look at us with hatred or anything like that, is still a sobering one, if you get me. Mm, for sure. Sure, sure. All right. So, um, any other points, or should we move on? Yeah. Okay. All right. So, um, verse eight. Uh, I quickly just wanted to say, oh, yeah, okay. uh, when we see in verse, um, when we see in verse seven, where it's just saying God looks at the heart, and man looks on the outward appearance. All I'm saying is everyone just think about think about your own lives and think of like where you do this and how you do this and how you judge people based on this. Because obviously this this is kind of like give everyone it's almost like a thing to treat everyone the self the, the same. Don't be partial, don't be um don't rush the judgment ever. Because some of the best people you think you know or some of the people you actually look up to could be harboring at least foolishness in their mind if not doing it in person in, in reality but like some of the people that you wouldn't actually give the time of day or could be the people that um well yeah just just the message of don't judge but that's that's all i wanted to say yeah good point good point um for sure so from verse eight, yeah. Yeah. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Then Jesse made Shammah to pass by, and he said, Neither hath the Lord chosen this. Someone else take over. And Samuel said unto Jesse, are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. Uh, and behold, he keepeth the sheep. You've missed verse 10, bro. Oh, did I? My bad, my bad. Again, Jesse made seven of his sons pass to, to pass before Samuel. And Samuel have said unto Jesse, The Lord have not chosen these. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Are here all thy children? And he said, There remaineth yet the youngest. And behold, he keepeth the sheep. And Samuel said unto Jesse, Send and fetch for him. <laughs> But we shall not sit down until he comes here. All right, cool. All right, so someone explain to me the situation was going on. So now Samuel, uh, not even Samuel, Jesse is bringing out all his sons because Samuel is looking for an heir. Um, and he's gone through every single one that he has except for the, for the last one, which we all know is going to be David. Cool, all right. What do you think the, what do you think the sons are thinking? I'm thinking what... I'm sorry, I'm not actually thinking what the sons are thinking. I'm thinking what Samuel's thinking. And when I say this, imagine if this was kind of like an ideal family. When I say that, I just imagine if it was one where, for instance, the looks and the best of everything went to the older brother and it kind of like went a little bit downhill as he went from brother to brother to brother. Can you imagine that? And like Samuel watching and seeing his first choice, big stucky man, the stucky man that looks kingly. You get me? Um... Mm. And then, like, go having to go next one, next one, next one. 
come into brother five, brother six, and like brother six needs to hit gym. Um, and like, you know, and then having to be like, not him, not him. And then eventually going around to this little boy, Pitney, uh, <laughs> David. <laughs> but yeah. Can I, can I say something quick? Go ahead. Yeah. Um, <laughs> sounds kind of silly, but I sort of get the image of like, I don't really know what the brothers must have been thinking, but you know, like in Cinderella, when you know they're trying on on the shoe uh, and then the, like the person that they least expect it it's like oh wow like Cinderella also this isn't just like anything like picking him for anything like picking him for a football team or whatever like this is picking him to be king and it's like you're either gonna be king or you're just gonna carry on doing what is it they're doing shepherding and all of that so, like, when they realise that they're not the ones that are going to be king, like, they must be feeling, uh, like, proper gutted. I'm not think- even going to lie. As as an older brother, if, God forbid, <laughs> God forbid, first of all, but if anyhow, say some something happened and occurred later on in life and Nathan got knighted, I would not be upset. However, there would be a trace of envy in my heart. I cannot. <laughs> I, said a trace. I feel like there'd be a bit more I than a trace. trace. Just a trace, you know. Just a trace. That's nice. brother, you know, Nathan. <laughs> Can I just say, real talk? Um, I've always thought that David is kind of heroic, and David is kind of, you know, like like action movie material. If that makes sense, makes sense. Yeah. Mm. Like David is a guy that's probably got like. You know, um, you know, maybe his hands maybe works out. Maybe he, um, what's it called, has a way with words when he's dealing with people. He's a charismatic guy, and I, I'm pretty sure. Um, I've not got the Bible open in front of me right now, but I'm pretty sure that when we read down, it says something like, "There's a ruddy, kind of looking boy." That's. I'm not trying to be. Fu- I was just googling the word "ruddy," bro. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm not sure I like what it's saying because it's. I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying to obviously make. Um, it's funny because the British, the British um, definition of this, the English definition of this is saying of a person's face having like a healthy red color. Oh man! And really? I, I don't know. I don't know what he's trying to say. You're trying to say David was white, um, but but obviously, I, I guess the thing that I'm I'm that I'm getting from this is kind of like that David was a little bit boyish, if you get me. Yeah, so let, let's put it this way, right? David, David was not only a boy, right? Um, and not only was he the youngest, but he was so much so that Jesse didn't even think about bringing David to this thing. We understand. Samuel must have asked Jesse, bring your sons, because God wants to make one of your sons king. Yeah? David, didn't, that- even, David yeah. didn't even get an invitation. <laughs> No, that he knew, he knew which sons uh, came to mind when he asked him that question. He said, okay, I'll bring out this <laughs> one. No, straight away, as a parent, as a parent, you would think, even as a brother, I would think if someone's just randomly asked someone to represent my family with a, a talent, I'm saying, Nathan, go play piano. <laughs> Listen, I'm not, I'm not going to lie. Go, represent. Oh, like, that's, the, that's the thinking. So Jesse would have thought, Oh, my, my oldest son is the tallest. He's got the most stature. Cool, he can represent for this. My next son's got a talent with this. He can represent like this. 
Man would have ordered it and organized it down to the T, I believe, bro. It's all bad. You, and then, you, and you then, think that she was shamed when they said go grab David? But, but you know what? It's not even the fact that he said go grab David. He said, we're not doing anything until David is here. <gasps> like, we're going to chill here until David has arrived. That's how it's been got. All right. All right. Let's, let's continue. Let's continue. All right. So, from verse. Um, Awkward silence must have been verse 12. And he sent and brought him in. Now he was ready and withal of a beautiful countenance and goodly to look to. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren. And the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Rama. Cool. Right? Mm. Mad. Mm. Cool. So everyone's a bit, you can always, everyone's looking at him like, wow. Like, I, I don't know, if I, I can't imagine that they're necessarily sour that this has happened, mm. but it's just surprise. Like, no one expected it. You know what I mean? Like, it's <laughs> a bit like, what? Oh, they be great. Oh, man. Mm. Like, okay, cool. Right? All right. Verse 14. We're going to get into some, some sticky water now. I just wanted to ask this fact that it says, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. Mm-hmm. Um, are we are we thinking kind of like, in my mind, I'm saying David would have to be of a certain sort. And when I just say this, I just mean like, I feel like from the, from the studies we've done already, the spirit of the Lord doesn't just come upon anybody, if you get me. And when I say that, I mean, like, yeah, we see it with Saul later on where he's going to kill David and, like, him and everyone else gets turned into prophets. Um, but, you know, I feel like David David would have had to have, to have a kind of, like, a character and a mind that's actually ready to receive, if you get me. For sure, for sure. And that's, that's what we're saying about man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. God knew from from time ago that he had to start preparing David for kingship, right? Hence why David was probably out there as a shepherd. You know what I mean? And so, although everyone thought he was a little boy, you know, David ain't ready to be king and all this kind of thing, God was like, nah, don't worry. David's going to come through. Right, it probably became one of the best kings Israel has had outside of, you know, what we're going to get to. Um, Okay, so, yeah, verse 14. But the spirit of the Lord departed from Thor, and an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. And the Thor's servant said unto him, Behold, now an evil spirit from God troubleth thee. Let our Lord know, now command thy servants, which are before you, to seek out a man who is, cunning, who is a cunning player on a harp, and it shall come to pass when the evil spirit from God is upon you, that he shall play with his hand and you shall be well. And Saul said to his servants, provide me now a man that can play well and bring him to me. Uh, 
Then answered one of the servants and said, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, that is cunning in playing, and a mighty valiant man, a man of war, prudent in matters, and a comely person, and the Lord is with him. Wherefore Saul sent messages unto Jesse and said, Send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. Right. Just a question, guys. Yep. The the ver- we see it repeated three times, right? Um, an evil spirit from the Lord troubled him. Mm. I was going to bring this up, so thank you. Yeah, I was I was expecting it to get brought up, so I thought you know let me just get out in front of the wave. Um, what do we think this means? In fact, Nathan, ask your question. Um, no, literally, I, I was just going to. I don't believe. I was going to say, do we believe that an evil spirit can come from God? That's the question I was going to ask. That's what I thought was going to come. Right. What what, what are we saying, guys? Well, what if... what I mean, to be honest with you, I think it's right there in front of us, isn't it? But I was thinking, what about when Job... Actually, no, that's different, because that was Satan that God allowed. Um... Um, guys, there's a there's a point I'm thinking of. I'm sorry, I'm sorry to interrupt. If I can just say this, um, there's a there's a I believe it's in Kings. I will try and find the reference, but there's a story where um, God basically asks angels who will, and he's basically trying to lead this king um, into a battle that this king is not going to win. And he says, who will go and be a lying spirit in the mouth of all this guy, um, you know, this uh, in the mouth of this king and his prophets? And an angel comes around and says, I will go. And he says, go, and you will deceive him and you'll be a lying spirit. And when I was younger, I would have just read that and be like, rah, God's sending an angel to do this. But what I realized later, um, a couple of weeks ago, we did a we did a AY on spiritualism. And I remember looking at that as one of the stories I was just looking at as source material. And studying it, I realized that it was um, actually God <laughs> asking all the demons, who's gonna go and lie to this man? Um, and one of the one of one of the demons, um, because obviously demons are lying spirits from the father of lies, they love to do it. It's almost like God was giving one of them an opportunity to put in work. And so they were like, you know, they, they took that. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like getting the same vibe from this to say that God has departed and an evil spirit moved in and God allowed it to happen. But let me know what you guys are saying. I read this guy's hand up. Um, I'm just uh, coming, uh, sorry, looking through um, Exodus, looking at the verses that say um, that Pharaoh's heart was hardened by God. Um, And kind of along the same lines as Nathan, uh, this idea of, you know, usually I just read that and take it on the chin. But I think back when, you know, we've looked at, uh, I don't know if it's on this chat, but, you know, looking at Moses' life and that kind of thing before and, realizing that the same way that you cannot have darkness without light, if that makes sense. You know, when you're outside at nighttime, you're not going around saying, ah, it's crazy dark, unless you're leaving a place of light, if that makes sense. You've got to have the contrast to be able to realize that there is one. And so it was this idea that because now 
um, Pharaoh had a battle going on between kind of the darkness and light in his head. That's why it's like God is the one that's tempted him to do this evil and to kind of harden his heart, if that makes sense. It's not that God was actually doing it, but because God was giving him the opportunity to not harden his heart and he was choosing to harden it, it was still like God has hardened his heart because what God has given to him, he's now had the opportunity to rebel against. And so because God's created the opportunity for him to rebel, that was what he was saying. So I was wondering if it's something like that. So, um, any other points before I step in? Okay. Right. So, does an evil spirit come from God? There is a there's a school of thinking to say that anything that God um, allows, He commits. Right. So, if God has allowed an evil spirit to do it, the Bible may say God gave him an evil spirit. If that makes sense. And so, it is a symbolism of His judgment. So. God has basically said, I'm judging Saul, I'm saying I'm not happy with him, and therefore he is going to get this evil spirit because I'm removing my spirit. If that makes sense. Um, we then will read later in the same passage that he also gives Saul some grace um, or some mercy, depending how you see it. Um, in terms of how he allows his spirit to be um, removed from him. But I believe it's a symbol of God's judgment. All right? Good? All right, let's continue. Wherefore, verse 19, wherefore Saul sent messengers unto Jesse and said, send me David thy son, which is with the sheep. And Jesse took an ass laden with bread and a bottle of wine and a kid and sent them by David, his son, unto Saul. And David came to Saul and stood before him and he loved him greatly and he became his armour bearer. And Saul sent to Jesse saying, let David, I pray thee, stand before me for he hath found, found favour in my sight. And it came to pass that when the evil spirit from God was upon Saul, that David took a harp and played with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the evil spirit departed from him. Perfect. Right? Which is, again, that, that idea of, of his grace coming through. Um, just as a reference to say, um, to say, oh, where are we getting this whole idea about the what God... Um, allows God commits. Um, one thing that Reuben, I think it was Reuben who mentioned it about um, Pharaoh hardening his heart or God hardening Pharaoh's heart. That was an example of that. Another example was with the children of Israel where God, um, the Bible says God sent snakes to bite them um, when Ellen White um, kind of expounds on that to say God removed his hedge of protection around Israel and they were in the desert, therefore snakes came. And so this idea that whatever God has allowed to happen as a punishment or 
um, a judgment from him is what the Bible sometimes would say God has done. Yeah? Okay. Um, quick thing. I just wanted to point out in that verse at the end where it says, um, and he went to stand before Saul and Saul loved him. I just wanted to kind of like put out this sentiment that godly children stand out. And literally just to say that, you know, when we, I don't know, sometimes it might make me feel a certain way because it's just like, I feel like sometimes get into this negative thing of just like, should have done this and this and this back then. But for all, for, for all the youngers that like, I, I guess that we, we influence in that. It's just kind of like to encourage them because godly, godly children stand out. And so when, when, when David is going before the kingdom of all of this, it's like you immediately recognize integrity and tact and like smartness and all of this. Um, and I think it's one of those things where like godly children win the favor of adults everywhere. But yeah. Also, something just occurred to me. I don't know if it's like really obvious, but I thought I'd mention it anyway. Um, because of this spirit that's distressed Saul, they that presented David with the opportunity to. I don't know what kind of building you'd say that Saul lives in but <laughs> um, it presents David with the opportunity to spend a lot of time there and through this even from a young age he's able to learn about how to run the kingdom and he's able to see like where Saul's going wrong and yeah he'll he'll be able to learn like the kind of decisions that are having to be made and the kind of things that a kingdom would need so yeah that's like, it's that's cool. I never thought about it like that. That's like they were doing apprenticeships back then, you know. That's the and not only did David see, like, start to gain wisdom about how to rule and all that, but it also took away a bit of the glamour of it. Right? So David, from a young age, was able to see, actually, being king probably isn't as good as my brothers were previously chatting about around the fire. Actually, it's kind of stressful. All these people always coming up to me, asking me for stuff. Always like it's it's actually not just about having riches and r- ruling over people. There's a lot of like stress, and you he can see the stress that Saul's going through, having to hold on to this this kingdom. And so it's giving him good experience to know actually this is gonna be this is gonna be a difficult job without God, you know, at my back. okay cool so starting to get into the meat of the story now so chapter 17 cool let's start reading verse from verse one now the philistines gathered together their armies to battle and were gathered together at shokor which belonged to judah and pitched between shokor and azekar in ephesdamim and Saul and the men of Israel were gathered together and pitched by the valley of Elah and set the, va- the battle in array against the Philistines. Uh, yeah. And the, Philist- first three, please. yeah. and the Philistines stood on a mountain on the one side and Israel stood on a mountain on the other side and there was a valley between them. Cool. 
Right, so let me just paint this picture, yeah? So the Philistines are a constant problem at this point, constant problem. And they've come, and because Saul didn't deal with them properly as he should have done before, uh, we touched on that very um, quickly last week, um, the Philistines are now in the mountains um, looking to come and take over Israel. Hmm. And we're, we've now had this picture, right? So Israel are on one mountain, and then the Philistines are on another mountain, and there's a valley in between them, yeah? And how warfare goes is because there's a lot of hand-to-hand combat or um, maybe a little bit of archery, um, you know, slingshots as we see, it's difficult for, it would be a massive disadvantage if one army went down into the valley and then tried to climb back up the mountain to fight the other army. So at this point they're at stalemate, yeah? So it's like they're just jeering at each other from one side to the other, but no one's actually ready to go down into the valley because they know if one army goes into the valley, they're going to be at a sore disadvantage, yeah? So this is where we are, right? Two armies on either side. Okay, first first four. And there went out a champion out of the camp of the Philistines named Goliath of Gath. His height was six cubits and a fan, and he had an helmet of brass upon his head, and he was armed with a coat of mail, and the weight of the coat was 5,000 shekels of brass. Okay, that's not there, right? <laughs> right. How, 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 how tall is six, um, six cubits in a span? I've heard people say before it's like 10 feet. 10 feet, right? So it's nine nine foot nine inches, I believe, right? So almost 10 feet, right? Let's just put into perspective what 10 foot looks like. I went to go watch a basketball game and the room is 10 foot tall, right? And basketball players are giants to me, yeah? And so you have like a LeBron James, six foot nine, and he has to jump, right, to reach the rim. And this guy, Goliath, his head is where the rim is at. We understand. Not only that, but he's, he's, he's not skinny. So this, this, this is a mountain of a man we're talking about right now. So much so, his coat, not, I'm not talking about the rest of the armour, his coat is, what does it say, 5,000 shekels of brass. How, how, how heavy is 5,000 shekels? I've just done the, I've just done the research. Um, and it's saying right now that it's around um, just over 40 kilos. By my calculation, it was 57 kilos. Come <laughs> yo. 57 kilos with your coat. You're fighting in that. You're charging You're fighting in that. You're supposed to be running that. and jumping and doing things in that. 57 kilos with that. Yeah. It, 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 gives, a, it gives a whole other meaning to weight invest. No. You know what I mean? We'll see. That is, and then he had a javelin, a spear, and a sword on his on his body as well, right? <laughs> so much so that you get you can get an armor bearer, you can get an armor bearer to to hold your shield for you. You know what I mean? Like this this guy this guy was massive. So I don't want to like you know highlight the fact that I'm a child, but you know I am. That is true. Um, I remember I used to love watching the Transformers films when they came out 
And uh, there was one where the, one of the main guys, Optimus Prime, had a trailer attached to the back of him. And that was where he kept all his weapons. I used to think that was hella unrealistic. But we're hearing about a guy that had a whole other human being that had to follow him around as a basically, he had a human being as a handbag, basically, to kind of bring all of his things with him because it was kind of long for him to carry them himself. That's how heavy his things were. So it is, I, I just find that a little bit crazy. Because I can imagine his armor bearer, um, not armor bearer, his uh, person that was carrying, you know, his stuff couldn't have been a small guy either, if that makes sense. Yeah. Mad. Man's nearly 10 foot tall. I could imagine probably about 500 pounds. 400, 400 to 500 pounds. The guy is huge. Yeah? Okay, let's continue reading. Verse, um, where did we get to? Verse six. We got to six, yeah. And he had greaves of brass upon his legs and a target of brass between his shoulders. And the staff of his spear was like a weaver's beam. And his hair, spear's head weighed 600 shekels of iron. And one bearing a shield went before him. And he stood. Oops, yeah. And he stood and cried unto the armies of Israel and said unto them, why are you that come out to set your battle in array? Am I not, I'm not I a Philistine and you servants to Saul? Choose you a man for you and let him come down to me. If you be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servants? But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall you be our servants and serve us. You know what I find funny about this? Hmm. Um, we read in the book of Judges a while back, you know, about, you know, the Sham guards and the Samsons who are just one man with the spirit of God upon them. And they basically have, you know, like it's been one of them against hundreds of Philistines. And I think it was Shamgar that said that he's, he killed maybe 600. Yeah. I can't remember what Samson's number was. Yeah. It gives oh, a whole into body count yeah mm. but i'm just saying uh the, you know this is where we've come from this is a history of kind of god's people in their war and then we've got to the point where out of the whole army yeah they've got a king now um god has said they've not rejected you samuel they've rejected me yeah they've got a, a king now in some ways they've been confident with Saul. and yet when they go to war no longer is it are we just waiting for the spirit of God to rise up a Shamgar and then he'll just go and deal with it and the rest of us will just watch. We've got a thing now, they're so oriented to mankind and to just trusting in the king and themselves and their own power that they obviously see this greater enemy and it's not a case of there are any, you know, the Bible doesn't say that there are more Davids in the camp, if that makes sense. The Bible doesn't say that there's anybody else offering to kind of go and handle business. It says they, that, you know, David needed to come and to experience this, that is to um, actually be the one person in the army that was felt mm. zealous and connected with God enough to be able to do something about it. Mad. So this was, so, so where we're at right now, right, is we've got a stalemate between the two armies, as I said, and now we've got Goliath coming forward and what he's offering is a 1v1 match yeah, you 
you got you got as a service of soul, bring me one warrior and I'm our warrior and we'll have it out here. And that means we'd have to fight in this valley. Yeah, the, uh, the, the war would be done. You know, if we lose, we'll be your servants. If 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 you lose, um, you'll be our servants. Cool. 1v1 match. Let's go. Right? Okay, let's continue. Verse 10. Sorry, verse, verse uh, 9. I think we read verse 9. Wait, is it nine or ten? Uh, nine. Okay. If he be able to fight with me and to kill me, then will we be your servant. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then shall ye be our servant and serve us. And a Philistine said, I defy the armies of Israel to stay. Give me a man that we may fight together. When Saul and all Israel heard those words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. Now David was the son of that Ephrathite of Bethlehem, Judah, whose name was Jesse. And he had eight sons, and the man went among men. And the man went among men for an old man in the days of Saul. And the three eldest sons of Jesse went and followed Saul to the battle. And the names of the three sons that went to battle were Eliab, the firstborn, and the next unto him, Abinadab, and the third, Shammah. And David was the youngest, and the three eldest followed Saul. But David went and returned from Saul to feed his father's sheep at Bethlehem. Right, so as Goliath is going through all of this and comes down, David's not there. Yeah, so... David's three bro older brothers are there. They hear the thing, but obviously they're not doing anything because it says the whole of Israel was afraid. Saul obviously heard it. Probably the person who should have gone down straight away. He obviously weren't going anywhere. And so, and David was gone, right? David was feeling a nice reprieve from um, from the court that he was chilling with Saul in. And it's, it's nice to be back with his, with his sheep and his shepherds, yeah? Cool. Verse 16. And the Philistine drew near morning and evening and presented himself for 40 days. And Jesse said unto David his son, Take now thy brethren an ephah of this parched corn and, ten, and these ten loaves and run to the camp to thy brethren and carry these ten cheeses unto the captain of their thousand and look how thy brethren fare and take their pledge. Now Saul and they... And all the men of Israel were in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. And David rose up early in the morning and left the sheep with the keeper and took and went, sorry, yeah, and went as Jesse has commanded him. And he came to the trench as, host, as the host was going forth to the fight and shouted for the battle. For Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array on the against army. All right. Nathan, were you going to say something? No, go ahead, bro. Right. I was just going to say, right, it says Goliath went down and said the same thing for 40 days, evening and morning. Hmm. 
This is how scared these people were, right? <laughs> this man shit. came through 14 days in a row and everyone was just like, ah, uh, yeah, ah, uh, well, uh, <laughs> uh, today I'm, I'm a bit tired, you know. <laughs> Maybe tomorrow, I'm getting a little bit more training. Can you imagine the vibe as soon as as, as soon as Goliath comes around? Everyone's just looking at each other, scratching their heads like <laughs> I'll do it if you do it. <laughs> no, I'm, like imagine just getting done with Bible study. Oh God is amazing. He can do anything. Just just finished the morning watch and Goliath come out. Right, who's ready to fight? And everyone's like, ah, oh, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, well, you know, the Bible study did say that, but you know, I didn't remember Moses and the miracles of that and what he took. I don't remember G- it. God did take out of Egypt, but, you know, yeah. life is looking a bit, <laughs> a bit long right now. Mm. Right? Uh-huh. Understand this is what we Christians do. We'll go to church, we'll read the Bible, we'll have a Bible study, we'll pray. But when a Goliath issue comes, it's all a bit like, oh, yeah, well, yeah, that one's a bit sticky. It's a bit, mm. it's a bit far for my faith. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. I hear that, man. And it's just, it's that whole thing of like faith. What, what, what was it saying? Faith without works is dead. And sometimes you actually have to step out. And I forget sometimes the definition of faith means that to exercise it, you've got to step out and actually do so. For real. Okay, let's continue. First, um, where do you get to him? Is that verse 20 or verse 21? I think it's, um, it's where it was. Uh, I think it was 20. Yeah, 20 is just where I was. 21. 21, 21. All right. Yeah. Cool. I'm assuming it's starting from verse 21, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, go on. But Israel and the Philistines had put the battle in array, army against army. And David left his carriage in the hand of the keeper of the carriage and ran into the army and came and saluted his brethren. And as he talked with them, behold, there came up the champion, the Philistine of Gath, Goliath by name, out of the armies of the Philistines and spake according to the same words. And David heard them. Great. Uh, I love that. Was that right? <laughs> Goliath just made his first mistake, right? Goliath has been talking right for 40 days and and the bible i love the bible how it just says he did he said everything he said before but this time david heard it. <laughs> yeah, so well. you know what i mean before it was like yeah 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 he talked to israel 40 days and everyone yeah. was scared yeah. but this time david heard him and that's what david needed to do you understand because david was on a different was it was in a different thing as we're about to read okay cool let's continue and all the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were so afraid. And the, man of, and the men of Israel sorry, said, Have you seen this man that is come up? Surely to defy Israel is he come up. And it shall be that the man who killeth him, the king will enrich him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And David spake to the men that stood by him, saying, what shall be done to the man that killeth the Philist- this Philistine and taketh away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? And the people answered him after this manner, saying, 
so shall it be done to the man that killeth him. I'll let somebody else take over. Sorry. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, love how, I love how David is talking right now. Hello. Right? Is it, is verse 26. Let me just read it again. And David spake unto the men who stood there, right? So, so this is the scene, right? David just arrives at the camp, right? Goliath comes out. He's, he says what he has to say, like he's been saying for the last 40 days. David is like, huh? Well, he's been saying this for the last 40 days. And what, what you managed just chilling? Yeah. Then he says, oh, so what's going to happen to the man who kills Goliath? And he said, yeah, all of this is going to, um, like, basically you know, all of these riches and all of this thing will come to the man who kills Goliath. And then David is like, but who is this uncircumcised Philistine? We're going to deep this uncircumcised Philistine comment in a minute, but I don't want to get there yet. And he says that he should have defied the armies of the living God. Yeah? David, David at this point, you can almost see his... his you can see the passion. The passion. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? A small anger, like mad, right? Because he's built different. <laughs> Is someone else was someone saying something, or maybe I, I was just hearing things? No, I was just saying you can see he's built different. Like he's come to the battle after, and everyone else has been hearing this for forty days, and they was like, "What? <laughs> he's not having it." <laughs> he's, no, no, but but it's like he's like, "What?" So so. The person who fights him gets riches, and they're like, "Yeah," mm. and he's like, "And he's been doing it for forty days," and they're like, "Yeah," mm. and he's like, "So, so I, I don't know what I'm missing. Like, <laughs> why?" Is this, that so he's you know? like, "So, so, so you guys just like to camp on the hill, yeah?" <laughs> like, you guys just like, nice like, like oh, you guys, oh, you guys just don't want to come home. Is to make them tired, and then you're gonna go mash them up. Is that is that what's happening? Like, <laughs> give me the give me the logic. Right? Oh, it is. Sorry, hold on as well. Yeah, yeah, good. You know when people say uh, um, something, people say things all the time, not in a bad way. I'm not at in the statement. Um, I don't see color and things like that. Yeah. Mm. David doesn't see size. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mad. Everyone's there saying, "Ah, oh, yeah, these are the riches that you'll get." And David's just like, "But who is he though? What makes him special? He's chatting a lot. Why? You get me? He's. It's almost like he's there, like." He doesn't see that this guy's a problem. Does that make sense? Yeah. Or are you hearing this too? That kind of thing. For sure. Okay. Cool. Let's 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 continue. All right. Um. And Eliab, his eldest brother, heard. He spake unto the men, and Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, "Why comest thou down hither? And with whom hast thou left those few sheep in the wilderness?" I know thy pride and the naughtiness of thy heart, and I for thou have come down that thou might see the battle, right? Eliab's smart here because he 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 knows his brother. Hmm. Right, he knows his brother. He's he's seeing him ask these questions, and you can see that he's looking for some smoke. And he's like, David, what are you doing here? Because I I know two twos you're going to be running down that hill in a minute. Hmm. So calm your skin down. Hmm. Yeah, that's his own brother saying, calm your skin down. Yeah, what are you doing hmm. here? Like, what you, yeah, I can, I already know what you've been doing in the wilderness with them sheep. So I know when you're asking these questions, as you said, he's, he's, he's thinking differently. Mm. Yeah. It's funny because if I can just say, I, I actually always read that the opposite way. 
And I always kind of like read it as like this older brother is attempting to chastise and like to be like, little child, you need to go back home. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. You get me? Um, ra- ra- rather than realizing, oh, my brother's about to go and do a madness. Let me, let me, let me step in. Like, and I think what's what's worse as well is that David's very questioning and very and, and how he's speaking is a rebuke to him. Yeah, that's and, why he's vexed. Yeah, he's vexed because he's saying I didn't have to. I didn't have the courage to go stand up to the guy, and David's about to do it. Mm. You understand? Do you know what I think it is oh, as well? I'm his older brother. <laughs> Yeah, I think it's shame. It's just like, boy, little man, stay, stay in a child's place kind of thing. Like, what are you going to yeah. come and do? Because um, like you said, they, he's been there for a hot minute. Like, he's been, he's seen this already before. Like, 40, was it 40 days? Yeah. And then, then David's coming out of here um, and he's saying all this. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't look, look good for him at the same time. But then I also see what you're talking about, Reese, where it's like, okay, is this a little brother? He knows what he's like, you know, that kind of thing. And but why yeah. I think that is because how how David responds in verse 29. Mm. So, yeah, let's, okay. let's read. And David said, what have I now done? Is there not a cause? And he turned from him toward another and spake to with after the same manner. And the people answered him again after the former manner. And when the words were heard, which David spake, they rehearsed them before Saul. And he sent for him. And David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Thy servant will go fight with this Philistine. And Saul said to David, thou art not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For thou art but a youth. And he is a man of war from his Mm -hmm. youth. Now this is this. Now finally, 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 um, child services got involved. This is this is kind of like what what, 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 what Saul's function is right now, because <laughs> he's like he's also shamed. Everyone everyone's shamed, and I guess guys, we need to deep this more because it is mad the the confidence that comes from actually knowing what God we serve. You get me? Mm. Because that 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 is that is what allows David to actually come, and it's, this is not just from what he heard in church. This is from personal experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, so 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 is coming as well because you know he his back is up as well. Like, who are you? And kind of like, also, you're 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 not even a man. You're you're a boy, and yet you're here, and you're you know you're 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 here chatting what you're chatting. For sure. And I was gonna make this point later, but I'll make it now. I think given your point, Nathan. Um, we saw uh, um, in the last chapter, we, heard, we saw the phrase, and the spirit of God came upon David and the spirit of God left Saul. And now we're seeing the, the, the application of what those things mean. Right? When you have mm. the spirit of God and like, you know God is with you, your confidence should be high. Because at that point, nothing can, nothing can touch you. That is what that's what mm. David is currently operating in. Spirit, we we he said from from that day on, David was given the spirit of God, right? Mm. So now David doesn't smoke. He doesn't care what, as you said, he didn't see the height. He didn't care who he is, right? But at the same time, yeah. Saul lost the spirit of God, and now he's thinking, if I go down there and fight Goliath, it's it's finished. Mm. 
And so we, we, we there's this whole dimension around um, being on God's side and knowing the living God that David says, there's God that you serve and ha- who is at your back versus um, where God has said, look, I'm moving away from you because of your disobedience and, and therefore the strength that he let, he lost because of that. I remember, remember when back last week when he had the spirit of God and he heard um, he heard that the people asked for everyone's right eye. Yeah. That was the same, the same smoke we're seeing David have right now. Saul had. Yeah. Saul had that smoke. Mm-hmm. But at this point, Saul's like, no, I'm not on it anymore. Mm. Because he has lost <laughs> that relationship. Mm. It's, it's mad how we see kind of like the rise and the fall of so many people in the Bible, if you get me. Whether it was pride, whether it was whatever, we see so many people start off right and something happens along the way. And I, I'm, I'm, I think that that's actually, you know, very poignant for us because it's just one of those things to remind us. We've got so many reminders to say, keep yourself in check because all this stuff, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in the night. It happens gradually. Mm. For sure, for sure. Okay. Um, Verse 30. um, 34. And David said unto Saul, Thy servant kept his father's sheep. And there came a lion and a bear and took a lamb out of the flock. And I went out after him and smote him and delivered it out of his mouth. And when he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and smote him and slew him. Thy servant slew both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be as one of them, seeing he hath defied the the armies of the living God. David said... Lord. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, good, 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 good. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul say to David, Go and the Lord be with you. Okay, and... let's, stop, let's stop there, right? Me and Imhotep, right? We're, we're discussing last week, um, just as um, I, thought, I thought this would come up. <laughs> yeah, I had to. I had to mention it, right? We're discussing, <laughs> yeah. right? What we would do, right? We were discussing like different uh, different situations with different animals and how we would fare. And uh, we decided that being in the water with an animal would be worse than being on land with an animal because at least, like on land, you can run, you can breathe. You know, in water, it's a, it's a, it's, it's a, you know, it's, you, you've done your dance really. Um, so we're thinking, right, on land, what kind of animals would really give you trouble? And we're thinking, we we really literally put these two animals, we're like a bear and a lion. And imagine you only had one weapon that you could use and stuff like that. And we'll think you're right. Really, ultimately, you're going to lose. Like, we'll think about all these different strategies, all these different training (laughs) that you can go through. But ultimately, it was going to be a bit, it was going to be a bit peak. You'd have to get very lucky. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah? That's that's, that's the conclusion we got to. And Imitab even went so far as to send me on Instagram the size of a bear. And he was like, you know what? Nah, we're not, I'm not on it. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, I'm not on it. I'm not on it. <laughs> David is saying with his chest right now, I have a, I have a staff 
we weren't even, we were thinking like spear with swords and, and this thing and that thing and big old, uh, he said that I have a staff and I have a slingshot. A man handled both a bear and a lion. He said he caught it by his beard and slew it. Yo. Are you joking? <laughs> you know how this you know, was... The Lord is serious, my brothers. I was just about to say, the thing that got for me, other, like above him saying that is what he says in the next verse, where he says, um, the, same, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he would deliver me out of the hands of the Philistines. Like, different, kind of different to different. What was the biggest difference compared to like that nonsense discussion that we had that day? <laughs> was like, we were both talking about doing it from our own strength. What can we do? But Daniel, sure. he, he, talk, he talks, he first says the facts, okay, I actually killed this thing. But then he says where that came from. He says, it's God mm. that delivered me. He didn't even Come big on. himself up. Do you know what I mean? Mm. It was like it. a humility to say that. If God can deliver me, rather than saying, if I can back a lion and a bear, you think I can't hack this guy? It was like, nah, if God can deliver me from this and that, he will also do the same here. And again, we see this phrase, un- uncircumcised Philistine. And I just want to highlight that again, because we're going to come back to it. But yeah, sorry, go ahead, Mas. I was about to say um, the same thing. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, before you get to that, um, looking at verse 34 as well, the reason why he went after the lion... Um, thing was because it took a lamb like if I was a shepherd and a lion or a bear came out and took one lamb I'd be like um you can have it you know what I'm saying <laughs> exactly <laughs> so yeah he, he, he did all of that just for one lamb which is yeah yeah, yeah. mad yo I'm sorry guys can we just see the parallel there um I don't know. I don't know if there, if maybe I'm just seeing things, but the parallel there, when um, you know, sometimes when the devil comes to attack, attack us, there are times when God's not having it, and there are times where you will, will there's times where we will see God fight for us in a very obvious way. Um, so yeah, but guys, I, I love the points that you've just been making. Big points. Big points. Okay. Yeah, guys. Um, so you can see the difference from verse 26 and 36. So you've got from 30, when 26 is like, what? Is this uncircumcised Philistine? It's basically saying, you know, is this pagan? Like, is he going to defy the armies of living God? Like that first has a question. He's like, what? Mm. You, you really think this could do this? But then by 36, he's saying, and the Lord will deliver me. He's not asking a question anymore. He's basically saying, don't yeah. worry, he'll deliver me from this. You, cool, can see cool, the, cool. you can see the faith. Yeah. He's dead. He's, 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 at this point, it's a wrap at this point in David's mind. This is this is the point, right? There's a there's a bit of faith, right? That you, you may have a little bit of faith. So at this point, a bit of faith would be like, you know what, I'm scared, but I'm going anyway. That, that's one kind of mindset. David is not in that mindset. David is not in the place where he's like, I'm scared, but you know what? God will help me, so I'm gonna go anyway. David is not there. David is, I'm gonna go and mash up this guy because he's chatting wives. That is where David. And this is the thing. I, I can't remember. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to read the next couple of verses because I almost want to turn around and say, David isn't the one that's going to wait for Goliath to come over here. He's going to go over there. You get me? Yeah, it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. It's coming. All right. So, okay. And, and let's get to the end of verse 37. Yeah. Um, and Saul said unto David, Go and the Lord be with thee. Now, the bottom line is, David just finished preaching. Um, you get me, it wasn't a long sermon, but the sermon's done, the appeal's done. Um, 
you get me so Saul isn't stopping him now mm. you know they're all gonna they're, they're all you see I imagine that everyone was looking there just like in some next amazement you get me yeah for sure for sure alright this next point is going to be a bit Larry, but let me, let me let's see how it goes. Right, so verse thirty nine, and David girded um, his sword upon. Oh, sorry, sorry, verse thirty eight, and Saul armed David with his armor and put a helmet of brass on his head, and he armed him with a coat of mail, and David girded his sword upon his armor, and he um, essayed to go, and he um, didn't. Um, for he had not proved it. And David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off of him. I love this, right? Because what I see here is you're on mission, right? You as a young person, you have thought in yourself, right, I'm going to do X, Y, or Z. I'm going to give this person a Bible study. I'm going to teach this person about X, Y, Z. I'm going to go defeat this Goliath in my life, whatever the case is and someone has come up to you and said okay to do that you need to do x y and z first and they put all these um rules in place for you to do what you want to do what god has put on your heart and david after putting on the rules says you know what i'm all right (laughs) this this phrase that we're seeing here on this word assayed um the definition i'm seeing here is kind of like to attempt you know he attempted yeah, to attempted, or, in, yeah. or in specific in in specific um kind of like metallurgy so dealing with metals and the way the things um the quality of it should i say it says to determine the the, the content or the quality so he's kind of like trying this armor he's proving this armor he's seeing i imagine that man's doing a couple of shuffles account you know he's, he's seeing how he can work with it and then in the end he's just saying no because it's not him it's not him. And also, I think that this is also, um, you know, we see this with Gideon, this whole thing of like um, God having to strip away certain things. Or when you're going with God, God doesn't want anyone to be able to turn around and say, you got the victory through this. Mm. You know, we're supposed to be depending solely on God. And, and the fact that David is going out there in, in, in farm clothes, like that, that's where we're seeing that God is truly with him. For sure. For sure, for sure. All right, cool. Let's let's move on because we're gonna run out of time. Okay. So um verse 40. And he took his staff in his hand and chose him five smooth stones out of the brook and put them in a shepherd's bag which he had, even in a scrip. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. And the Philistine came on and drew near unto David, and the man that bare the shield went before him. And when the Philistine looked about and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy and of a fair countenance. And the Philistine said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. And the Philistine said to David, Come to me, and I will give thy flesh unto the fowls of the air, and to the beast of the field. Someone else take over. This is juiciness. 
Was it 45? Yes. Yeah, 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword, spear, and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty. The Lord, wait, Lord Almighty, the God of um, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. To this this day, the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. This very day, I will give you. I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and to the wild animals, and the world and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. Cool. Right. <laughs> so let me just let me just give you that in a nutshell, right? David comes down the hill, Goliath comes up forward, he sees that David is a small boy with a stick, a staff in his hand, right? And he's like, Are you joking? Like, not only am I ten foot tall, but you're a small person. <laughs> I mean, Pretty like well. <laughs> he's not you're not even like your normal you're, you're like a normal soldier, which I would still be dominant over. You're like, you're smaller than a normal average soldier. So what are you doing here? Mm. And what I'm going to do now is because you're here, I'm going to beat you so bad and feed your flesh. I'm going to leave your body here so that the birds and the beasts can eat you. David then responds by saying, not only am I going to beat you, and not only am I going to feed your flesh to the birds and the beasts, but I'm going to, your whole army I'm going to feed to the birds and the beasts. <laughs> no, but Your whole army is going to eat it as well. Think about it. Think about it. Think about it. You're going to play football and then a 12-year-old comes up and tells you, right, you're not going to score any goal. I'm going to score 64 goals against you. Obviously. Like from, mad. From, from Goliath's perspective, you can see where he's coming from as well. Mm. But then it shows how much faith David had that he was going to kill Goliath. For sure. For sure, for sure. It's crazy, right? Okay, first point, um, 47. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with the sword and not with the spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands, which is the point that we made earlier. And it came to pass when the Philistines arose, when the Philistine arose and came and drew nigh to meet David, that David hasted. I ran towards the army to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand in his bag and took thence a stone and slung it. And it smote the Philistine in his forehead. That the stone sunk into his forehead and he fell upon his face to the earth. Right. David slung the stone, right? And mm. Goliath fell forwards. Mm. So it was like his face to the ground. Mm-hmm. Right, so I could just imagine this. Right, the whole place is now silent. It's a movie. Everybody there expected David to die. Yep. It's almost like the Hebrews were getting ready to write. Okay, well, all right, you 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 wash the toilets. I'll clean the garden. You <laughs> do the laundry. Like they're ready to be servants. As soon as David's walking down there. And now this, the stone hits his head and the whole place is like... <gasps> right? <laughs> only, place, only person in that whole place from both armies that was confident was David. Yeah. Mad. All right, first... Um, first... 
So I'll continue from 50, which is... 50, yeah. 50, yeah. Okay. I'll just finish up. Um, so David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone and smote the Philistine and slew him. But there was no sword in the hand of David. Therefore David ran and took, stood upon the, his, the Philistine and took his sword and drew out of its sheath thereof and slew him and cut off his head therewith. And when the Philistines saw their champion was dead, they fled. And the men of, the, of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines until thou come to the valley and to the gates of Ekron. And the wounded of Philistines fell down by the way unto Sharem, even unto Gath and unto Ekron. And the children of Israel returned from chasing after the Philistines and they spoiled their tents. And David took the head of the Philistine and brought it to Jerusalem, and he put his armor in his tent. And when Saul saw David go forth against the Philistine, he said unto Abner, the captain of the host, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As thy soul lives, O king, I cannot tell. And the king said, Inquire whose son this stripling is. <laughs> and, as, <laughs> and as David returned from the slaughter of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him there before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, old man, you old young man? And David answered, I'm the son of thy servant, Jesse the Bethlehemite. Cool. All right. So, Nathan, you're mm. laughing there. And I'm assuming yeah. you're laughing for the same reason I'm laughing. But go ahead. <laughs> to be honest, I was, I was just thinking the phrase, Whose son is this, has been around since then. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. Mm. I was thinking, did Saul not have a discussion with David before he went out there? Mm. Mm. So why are you now asking their questions about who this, who this kid is? <laughs> like you weren't watching the whole time. Mm-hmm. Like I'm, 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 I'm well confused what Saul is thinking at this point. Maybe he's trying to like pipe down the like pipe down the, the accomplishment of it by calling mm-hmm. him a kid again. But ultimately, like I'm not really sure what what Saul is on. Or maybe, or I'm I'm just gonna say, or maybe he's got this idea of this little polite, well-spoken, skilled musician up in the court. <laughs> and then when you're seeing this kid that's coming into the thing and charging into the battle with him, like... It's like, who is this? <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe you couldn't quite compute that they were both the same person. Mm. Makes sense. Yeah, that's, that's got to be it. That's got to be Number it. F- just make 58. Just even say his name. Who are you, young man? <laughs> Yeah, because maybe, maybe um, he's asking the second time, like, who are you really? Like, you know, when you see someone do something out of character and mm. it's like you don't even know them anymore. Mm. Where did you even come from? Yeah. Like, yeah. Who even brought you here? Like, <laughs> killing giants and stuff. Right, cool. So that's going to be where we finish it today. But I just wanted to go back to this idea that David is calling Goliath an uncircumcised um Philistine. What does what, what does uncircumcised mean? I think in that context, doesn't it just mean that like like what Tyler was saying, he's a pagan, like he doesn't have um doesn't believe in God kind of thing. It's obviously not physically the obvious um meaning of the word, but yeah. Someone who's like pagan and doesn't have a God. Cool, right? But 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 a word like the word uncircumcised points to something. 
Because uh, while everyone was looking at Goliath, obviously David was focused on somewhere else. So mm. what what does the, the word uncircumcised, what does, what does circumcision symbolise? Like cleanliness. Cleanliness, but what... Yes, but there was a specific reason why God asked Abraham to circum to be circumcised. What was Set it? Sorry, isn't it? Isn't it a symbol of the fact? Yeah, um, the covenant and the fact that the covenant, set apart. the covenant set apart, right? So when David says um, this uncircumcised Philistine, yes, he's calling him a pagan or a heathen or you know someone who doesn't worship God or is not part of Israel. He's also saying he has not he's not part of the covenant. He's not part of the covenant. Mm-hmm. So what he's actually saying is God has promised to protect us, the people of Israel, from stuff like this. Mm. He's uncircumcised. Mm. You are seeing that he's a giant. You're seeing that he's strong. You're seeing that he's chatting stuff, like you're scared. But what I'm seeing is that God has not promised him victory. Mm. He's promised me victory. Mm. What are some of the Goliaths that we see in our life? Like, give me some examples. Maybe fear? What does... Fear, right? But so let's okay, let's do the characteristics of what Goliath symbolized, right? So fear is one. What else? Uh sin. Sin? Okay, yeah. I'm not I'm I'm not really sure how best to see this, but Goliath was symbolizing something that would overwhelm you. Cool. Overwhelm too much for you to handle. Too much for you to handle. Perfect. Something that devalues you. Something that devalues you. Mad. Intimidating. What does intimidating mean, like, compared to what fear means? When I think of intimidating, I think of something that literally makes you smaller, if that makes sense. Um, You know, people talk about going through an experience and then being skittish and and, uh, having maybe they've, you know, had a car crash or um, older people have had a fall or something like that. And Mm -hmm. all the person that used to be whizzing all up and down everywhere is not comfortable going out at night. Or this person that um, used to be you know, 85 years old and still doing everything in their local community or in their house isn't willing to get up out of a chair without help. It's something that causes you to be timid now, stops you from making big movements and now you only make small movements that you feel like in your little um, circle of influence. So deep. Goliath symbolises, right, just that. An impossible situation that makes you either it stops you moving forward so it even makes you start making very safe very um small little steps or it makes you stop or it makes you turn around 
that's what a Goliath situation does. And how you deal with it will depend on that very thing that we saw David get and Saul lose. Spirit of God. Hmm. That's the covenant. What's the covenant that we have currently? What's the new covenant? Because trusting in that new covenant is going to allow you to move past the lives. But we need to know what it is. You are saying covenant, so I'm, I'm I'm here thinking what promises has Jesus made to us? Sorry. More so, not, not even what, what, what promises did Jesus make to us, but what did what promise did Jesus symbolise in himself? Uh, because Jesus is the new covenant. That forgiveness of sin? Forgiveness of sin, right? But not only forgiveness of sin, we kind of covered this in the sanctuary message. Yeah. So it's not only just forgiveness of sin, but what else is it? Like the stay in power to keep you overcoming sin. It's overcoming sin as well. Mm. Right? To keep you away from it, definitely. Not only the result of sin, but the power of sin. And ultimately the presence of sin. That is the new covenant. However, how many times do we forget that? Forget the fact that Jesus is on our side and he's and he's here to try and get us to that place where we could like lose the power of sin in our lives and we're actually focused so much on the intimidation of what Goliath symbolizes. And that's where faith comes in. Do we get that? So deep when he talks about uncircumcised yeah. at this time. That's how you can he can walk in there and be like, you've been waiting here 40 days and you haven't done anything. Like, what's going on? You get it? Is there any other points? I'm, 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 you know, conscious that there's AY and stuff. No, yeah, I get it. No, that's just mad because I think it's like, you know, are we, are are, are we, are we, are we the Israelite army? Mm. That's just standing there in front of these giants being intimidated and feeling that we can't get nowhere. When in reality, the battle is God's. The battle is the Lord's. And we see this constantly throughout the Bible. And it's almost like we just need to wake up and realize it's the Lord's. But um, that being said, that then, then, I, then I would be, um, you know, I'd, I'd be remiss if I didn't say, 
that accepting that the battle of the Lords actually causes you to move differently. It has to cause an action. It has to cause you to move differently. You can't, you can't, you can't, you can't accept the battle of the Lords and then continue to move like you're, like you're afraid of what this thing that God can overcome um, can do to you. understand what what made David special was not um, his his um, skill with the slingshot remember that text that we read right at the start God looks on the outward appearance I'm sorry man looks on the outward appearance but God looks on the heart what made David special was what he had inside not what he had outside and that same thing that made David special, we can all have. It's not exclusive to David's experience. David isn't the only one killing Goliaths out here. As you said, it's God's battle. It's interesting that that was his approach to it though. Um... You know, he could have been someone that he was told he was going to be king. And I'm not saying that, you know, he didn't care about physical health or something like that, but it could have been that he started doing press-ups and started going to Kung Fu classes mm. and started kind of stepping into all of these. I don't, you know, there's a, a part in what we read that said um, way back when, when David was um, kind of inducted into Saul's uh, kind of musicianry, I don't know when he was invited into the court, one of the yeah. reasons he said that he was a man of war. Makes no sense. How could he be a man of war? When <laughs> yeah, that's like, a good point. You know, he's, he's with the sheep. Yeah. But what's interesting is when you advance in the story and now he's describing how he feels and with the kind of reaction to this, um, this, this affront to God, he describes it um, not in a nationalist, uh, national, uh, yeah, nationalist way it's not we're better than them because we're better than them it's not we're better than them because it's king saul it's a the covenant yeah the mm. covenant that is made with us mm. the relationship that we have with god the kind of god that we serve i did not kill the bear i did not kill the lion but the god that worked through me to kill the lion that was his focus and that's why he didn't see color it might as well have been a lion a bear a dog it could you know what i mean it could have been whoever mm didn't matter because his his focus was not on what the problem was it was on who was in him to help him get through it if that made sense sure. so he need to know the philistine and to know how heavy he was and to know how to use armor and to know all of that to know the god that he served and know that god could handle it anyway sure. Um, sure. the verses that say um my people perish for lack of knowledge and it reminds me of the, the verse that says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. You know, mm -hmm. I spent time seeking my own righteousness, mm -hmm. seeking how I can be good, how I can be better. But God is saying, focus on what I'm doing that's good. Focus on my work and how that shows that I'm good. Focus mm -hmm. on know me like that and all of the rest will be added unto you. Makes me think of that. And it, and and what's mad if is if any of the Israelite camp had that mindset, any one of them could have walked down there for Goliath.
We said that everyone started moving mad and like saying that they were just going to live according to themselves. But this is where it leads to, isn't it? This fact that when you live to yourself, your dependence is only on yourself. And when a giant comes, you can only bow or fight because you're either strong enough to deal with it or you're not. And that's just it. Mm. And if we take the opportunity that we have in God, then actually that's when that's the only time that we can be like, okay, it doesn't matter if something's bigger than me because it's not me to begin with. Otherwise, we just have to bow out to it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. That's it for sure. All right, let's um let's pray to close. Um, Ruben, as you've been doing so much talking, do you want to pray for us to just, just close up, please? It was Nathan. I understand. <laughs> um, let's pray. Father in heaven, um, our giants are named different things, but they're big. And I don't know about everyone else here, but I spend so much time focusing on the size of them, Lord, the kind of armor that they wear, how much they can bench, and comparing that with my ability. And there's a lot of timidity in that, a lot of, I'm just going to focus on my little righteousness that I can do over here, my little effect that I can make over here, because the giants are too big to tackle. And yet, um, from this study that we've seen today, you're inviting us into a relationship with you, Lord. The same way that the spirit of your, your spirit even came upon David from early is the same way that you, Jesus said, the reason I'm, I'm, I'm dipping, the reason I'm going away is so that you can get to know me even deeper than you could if I was here in the flesh. Um, and you want that for each of us. And so, Lord, when this, the giant seems to be, you know, uh, so big and so powerful that we can't even imagine help us to get to know you and to focus on your power and not to do it in a way that's um you know unrealistic and to feel like it's got to come with the bells and whistles but to be willing to give you a chance and to see what you're willing to do in our lives and thank you for this story for this reminder that um your way is better than our way and that um <laughs> where we are weak you are strong so thank you for the inspiration for this study and for providing and facilitating. And please, Lord, even if we're not feeling it now, even if it's so easy to put down your word and to forget about the lessons, help us to be willing to take this with us this week and be like David, to do some lunges into your word, to kind of stretch up and to prove it and to see if it's something that we can't take forward into our lives and into our purpose as you have us through Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.